When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's episode, I interview wellness expert, top podcast hosts, New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, and all-round great human, Aubrey Marcus, on the mental health benefits of safely microdosing, how to make any miserable job or task work for you, how the brightest minds in athletics, business, science, relationships, and spirituality navigate obstacles and overcome failure, fitness hacks, and how to optimize your mental and physical health, and more. I want to take a few moments to thank all of you who listen and share this podcast. Your support means everything to me, and I'm so happy to hear how episodes are helping you clean up your mental mess. If you want to know how you can continue to make these podcasts possible, please subscribe and consider leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more tips, strategies, and resources, be sure to check out my website, drleaf.com, and follow me on social media. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And now, on to today's episode. Aubrey, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming to share your pearls of wisdom with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and tell us what's not in your bio. That's always the most interesting part. <laughs> what motivates you to do what you do? You know, I feel like I have have a really clear understanding of what I came here to do. And I know that's kind of a, a loaded way to describe your existence, but I really feel like our existence with an opportunity and an invitation to fulfill some sense of purpose. And I think it's our job to uncover what that purpose is and that get really clear guidepost and, uh, and a way to kind of look forward towards our life and understand which direction we're heading. And I think for me, it's always been to just help evolve the way that people think, the way that people can access their spiritual truth, mental truth, physical truth, and just try and you know, leave this place a better place than when I found it. That's great. And you help people do that so well, which is incredible. You faced a lot of obstacles in your personal and your professional life. How have you dealt with those obstacles? Because that's something that people, you know, ask me a lot. And we know that adversity breeds, you know, gives us this, the resilience. And most people that have been through adverse circumstances, they always learn and they grow forward. And so we know that we, we know as humans that obstacles are actually quite good for us. And but can you tell, tell us how you've navigated you know, obstacles in your professional life and what, have you, what lessons have you learned that we can learn from you? I think the most important thing is to reframe an obstacle as your, you know, like as Ryan Holiday wrote in his book, The Obstacle is a Way, like your resistance is your assistance. You know, I would be like going mm -hmm. into the weight room and saying, oh, these weights are an obstacle. You know, oh, for me, look at all these weights everywhere. They're so heavy. You know, well, the weights are there so that your physical body to be able to be stronger and the obstacles are there to train your mind, your emotional body, your spiritual body. It's, it's, it's in the same way. So if you reframe it like that, you can say, instead of, Oh, woe is me when something happens like, Oh, wow, look at this opportunity I have to face this challenge, to overcome this challenge, to grow stronger in the face of this challenge and see myself on the other side, a different person than, you know, before I started. Do you find that that's what's helped you whenever you hit an obstacle? Is that sort of the mindset that you bring to the table? Sure. It's just, a, it's, you know, all of the challenges that I've faced, and this is the same for most people, we've always overcome them. You know, we're almost, we're batting a thousand. We're like, we're a hundred percent at overcoming the obstacles, but then we'll face a new obstacle and be like, oh man, this is the one. This is the one that's going to take me out for sure. But yeah. it never is. I'm always grateful for them. 
in hindsight. And so I think the skill is to be grateful for them and with foresight. So to see the obstacle coming and be like, oh, wow, I'm going to be grateful for this later. So I might as well be grateful for it now. And if I can be grateful for it now, maybe I don't know why yet, but then it just changes your whole attitude toward it. And you can go towards it with curiosity and just solve the puzzle in the way that you need to. Mm, I love how you've explained that. You know, I do clinical trials and I just did a set of clinical trials. I, I work on the mind-brain connection and been doing it for 38 years now. And one of the concepts that I've done a lot of research on is the concept of reconceptualization, which is what you're saying. It's reframing. It's seeing things in a different way. And it's amazing when you give, when people learn that skill. Because it really is something you actually have to learn to do and you can train yourself to become better and better. It just changes how the, the, the unconscious mind and the brain function, which then carries over into how we consciously function. So it's very scientific. I mean, it's really, it shifts the, the whole flow of energy in the brain and it shifts how, or how we wire, how our brain is wired and everything. So it's a very important concept to adopt. I love your foresight idea though. You know, I love the idea of, you know, we've been through obstacles in the past. We've been very good in an, in an obstacle situation, forgetting, aren't we? That actually we got through quite a lot in the past and we take each new thing as though this is the end of the world. And then, you know, think, oh, well, this whole, but we've got all these skills we've already gained from our previous experiences and we can bring that to the table and, and have that foresight. I love that shift. Here's an obstacle, not, oh, woe is me, but rather, hey, this is great. Let's, I've got this previous experience I've succeeded before let me be grateful for this even though it's awful terrible whatever it may be is that's if I'm hearing you correctly that's what you're saying absolutely yeah that's and and do you find that people get a hang of this do you find that they, they do they apply it or do you or what is how do you get people to apply that thinking because we we kind of know we should do that what's the key to getting people to do that to see the world in that way I think it's it's something that just you start to get more used to. And, and as you have that mental framework and you can really analyze everything and then start to build those wins. And even if in a particular instance, you have those moments of, of dread and those moments of doubt and those moments where you, you know, kind of want to retreat and just crawl in a hole and not do anything, which is sometimes the reaction in the face of these challenges. If you have the idea <laughs> that you for this later, and at least that's in your head somewhere. And then you get through it and then you're grateful for that. And then you're like, oh, wow, that was another one where that, you know, that truism was correct, that I was grateful for this ultimately. And it just starts to build the confidence in the, in the concept. And I think it just takes, just takes the time. But the first thing is the seed. So hopefully for the listeners here, like that seed has been planted. Some of you, maybe the seed is going to flourish and you'll be able to adopt this this kind of mentality for others maybe it'll take some time but maybe you'll think about it next time you have a challenge and you'll think about it after the challenge and you'll be able to reframe and and kind of look back at your own history and see how often it was true and i think it just starts to gain momentum so i don't think it's something that has to be wholesale and immediately adopted that's hard for the brain to do but it's something that will build momentum and start to carry forward with a little more gravity every time you practice it. Mm, very good. So you're actually building up the thing. One of the things that I've researched is that whole myth that we're going to change a habit, build a habit in 21 days. It doesn't take 21 days. It takes at least 63. And I've just done research showing that whole neuroplasticity change in the brain. And it goes to what you're saying. You're not going to, like we can hear you, you and I discuss this now. Someone can be hear, hearing you and I discuss this concept. Okay, reframe an obstacle as something positive. But it, it's probably, it's going to take you at least, if you've never done that, it's going to take you at least 63. 63 days to even get that your head around that concept and just start then applying it and looking at your past and the future in a different way. So that's good for people to, you know, it's that whole thing of cumulative, a little bit each day is so, is so important. Micro progression, and it's very scientific. Your brain works like that, but it's driven by your mind. But it is so important for people to realize that it's at least nine weeks before you will start actually seeing behavioral change in your brain. And, you know, what you, the way you described it is excellent. I love that. So you've interviewed some of the brightest minds in athletics and business and science and relationships and spirituality. What are some of the best pieces of advice? And I'm sure you have tons. So this is a hard question. Best pieces of advice and wisdom that you've heard from these guests. And you know, what really stood out to you? Or maybe a few things that stood out to you. Well, I mean, one of the things that's somewhat related is just the people who I've talked to have a, a really strong gratitude practice. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Joanne, who I interviewed and Jesse Itzler, successful businessman, part owner of the Atlanta. Both of them have really strong gratitude practices where they actively go about accessing that 
sentiment and that feeling of gratitude for any aspect of their current life, their future life, or their past life. And they are, they are two of the happiest and most reconciled people that I know. And, and I can only attribute that to the gratitude practice that they have. So mm. that's definitely one of the key aspects. Certainly a lot of the other people in, in certain people in business and athletics, there's always a piece of magic that they have. There's something that I was like, oh, I get it. Like, I get why you are who you are. You know, like, I understand what drove you and what allowed you. I think there's this idea that people are, some people are just, you know, have a crazy amount of talent and they couldn't help but succeed. And I've almost never seen that. Be, no. You know, it's always coupled with some kind of mental framework or practice or some kind of unusual outlier behavior that's like okay like i see what you're doing there and you know there's so many different ways that that could be some for some yeah. it's just the way to reframe their understanding of what discomfort is and like actually seeking and looking forward towards the discomfort like choosing your own willingly i think joe rogan is a great you know tim kennedy is another great example he's a you know a top ufc fighter and a decorated military veteran and, and he's you know he's someone who'll go out and He'll try to see what can make him fail and he'll look for his fascinating as fast as possible. So, and I think that was a really cool concept to have, mm. like, try to fail, try to find something that'll make you fail and he'll like hunt those things so wow. faced with the situation that in which he's, you know, feeling really, he knows what he's really made of. And that's, you know, that's something that Peterson was on my podcast. He mentioned, you know, you don't know yourself unless you test yourself. So everybody really who's been successful, they're willing to put themselves on the line and they're willing to fail and they're willing to, you know, to go up against something great and, and, you know, see where they see where they stand and not judge. And they don't have a fragile ego identity construct to protect. They're willing to fail. They're willing to put themselves up against immense challenge and see how they do. And if they, if they fall, they dust themselves off. And if they don't, you know, they keep going and find the next one. Those are such important points that you've raised and such logical, almost instinctive, but in our current culture of self-help and positivity, it's almost counter, you know, you've got to keep, you've got to win and you've got to always be positive and smiling and everything. It's almost counter to that because you imagine that you can get the best and you're going to attract the best to you and all these different sort of positive psychology type philosophies that have made it seem like it's something external that you can get and just put in you and now you're going to be this person that's going to succeed and whatever and meanwhile it's actually really the basics it's the basics of as you say gratitude and being willing to fail and get up again and seeing the success and the learning the lessons in the failure and it's consistent I've interviewed so many people and those same sort of things come up and it's like like you have and it's amazing how those core things are the things that make people move keep moving forward it's it's quite fascinating so is there would you say that the the the, the common mindset amongst these people is this willingness to almost like the willingness to learn from the failure would you say if you had to or a couple would there be a few more than just one mindset i think not just one well i think that's absolutely necessary is like you have if you're a comedian you have to be willing to bomb if you're an athlete you have to be willing to miss if you're a businessman you have to be willing to have a bad idea and then fold it and not be attached to it just scrap it and that's good you know, like you have to be able to to learn adapt adjust and not take things so personally like i think we're all too fragile in our identity Mm. You know, so we're not willing to put ourselves in a vulnerable position where we could judge ourselves less for not succeeding in some external way. And I think that's the, really the defining factor is, you know, those people, they're just willing, they're just willing to put their, put their ass on the line. And whether that's in any aspect, it's just the willingness to be vulnerable enough to have criticism, to lose, to not you know to allow people to hurl their abuses at them and 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 also not take the the praise and compliments too seriously either it's just like they're going to do what they're going to do and they're going to learn everything they can along the way but it's just this kind of anti-fragility where mm. they're just comfortable and and expressing themselves and going for it Mm, I love that you the phrase you've used anti fragility. I think that's extremely important in this day and age. And also, I love your the idea of brilliant the way you said being willing to take an idea, 
try it, it fails and fold that idea and try again without thinking, oh, it's so terrible. This is it and this is the end, which is a very common kind of mindset that I've encountered in, in the work that I do with people is it's like something hits you and it's like, that's the end of the world. But you've got to be willing to say it's not the end of the world. That's just something that didn't work. Let me go to the next thing. And I love the point that you make about criticism. You know, people do fold under criticism and feel fall apart and the praise thing. You know, don't look for do do things looking for the praise. It's too empty. It's not enough. It's, it may not even be genuine. And not to live just based on that, not to let it go to your head either. You know, you've raised some extremely important points for, I think, successful living. Really excellent. You're really passionate about psychedelic medicine and organizations like MAPS and the Hefter Institute. Can you talk about this? Because it's really an area that's very interesting and also very controversial. It's also got quite a long history and been going up and down in terms of science and research and being accepted in the mainstream and so on. I think that's actually not necessarily true right now because if you look at the work that maps is doing they're in phase three clinical trials for yeah the, yeah that's what i yeah. stress disorder mm-hmm. and it's mdma assisted psychotherapy so they have a protocol and what the data has shown from the phase two trials is that two out of three treatment resistant patients not only were treated for their ptsd so this is treatment resistant they have tried all the other psychiatric medicine yeah. all the other practices emdr everything nothing's mm-hmm. working in three sessions Two out of every three of those treatment-resistant patients that nothing else could cure were cured, not treated, mm. cured. And then in a follow-up study, they showed that not only were they cured, you know, which is dropping the trauma score beneath the threshold. I think the number is like 10 out of 55. If you're below 10, then you have considered to have no trauma, but it's continued to mm-hmm. drop. So if they were at 9 in two years, they're at 7. And then it's amazing. So it continues on. This is a lifelong cure is what they're showing. So it's really a revolution in Mm. the way that we process trauma. And if you start to dive deeper into the research about how many things are related to trauma, I think the study is the ACE study, which showed Mm. that for every traumatic incident, you have an increase in depression, you have an increase Mm. in the propensity to be obese, you have an increase in addiction, you know, and all of these things are so based upon these traumas that are really difficult to access. And I think that's probably why not only the compelling data, but also you know, everything that's really this is shown is why the FDA and also the the safety protocols have been great in these programs. And it's again, it's three interventions. It's not, you don't have to take this pill all the time, but the FDA granted them fast track breakthrough drug status, which was a great. That's fantastic. And then in the interim analysis, which they just announced, so they didn't just the And that's so the FDA can say, all right, you know, based on the results, it looks like you're study is underpowered you need to add more need uh, patients or whatever they yes, say, no, mm-hmm. go right ahead so it looks like it's really cleared to be a fully approved treatment with all of the scientific backing that you could ever hope for so it's definitely changed yeah it's definitely changed because it was i know there was a it's, it's gone out of the realm of controversy and into it's the realm this, of, mm. this is in the room so that's beautiful and, and that's the thing i think that's the thing that i think is going to change has the opportunity to change society in a really dramatic way because i think we're all you know we're all we underestimate the effect that trauma has just if we're just looking at this kind of narrow field and so many of us have trauma from so many different things and of course trauma is subjective it's not you know, because this person had this and I had this, that mine doesn't count and theirs counts. It's not relative. It's it's individual and subjective. And I think if people can heal these traumatic incidences in their life. They're just going to see a universal lift in every aspect of their experience. And I've been fortunate enough to, to witness one of these treatments happen. And what I saw was somebody, a man who's a really successful businessman, actually, who went not really knowing what was going on, but he had a variety of different symptoms, uncovered, repressed sexual from his childhood, and an arc of awareness, shock, anger, sadness, and then into acceptance, forgiveness, and ultimately like that little tinge of gratitude because he recognized that this was one of the things that drove him to be so successful, you know? And so I watched that whole arc in traditional talk therapy, that arc if even possible, would take years, you know, like years to get through that hole and have it fully expressed. And I watched that happen in four hours. Mm. And so 
that's what about this. I just, it's not a panacea. It's not good. It's not for everybody and it's not the solution for it. But what I've seen it capable of doing is just, it's a real revolution in my understanding of what's possible for healing the human organism. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods, my one-stop shop for affordable, sustainable, healthy household products. From home and personal care to premium pantry staples, all in one place. I've been using Public Goods for months now and absolutely love their healthy pantry staples like organic pastas, soups and more. With the upcoming holidays, I know I will be doing a lot of cooking, baking and cleaning, so I've been stocking up on everything I need from Public Goods. I don't have to wait in line at stores and I end up saving so much money. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly and innovative products like sulfate-free shampoo, hand sanitizer and tree-free paper products. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals and the environment. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on personal health and the world at large. We worked out an exclusive deal just for cleaning up the Mental Mess podcast listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or use the code Dr. Leaf at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf to receive $15 off your first order. I love that, and I and I agree with you. I think, and I'm, I'm glad that it's not as controversial. It has been, as you said, and it's 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 not as controversial now. And you know, I've worked for 38 years in mind, brain, and trauma, and that kind of stuff. And it is really once we can manage our minds, we can sustain the the healing. And I've shown with some of my work that you can you can control depression, anxiety from trauma and so on by 80 up to 80 percent with mind management. But the key, very often, and this is where I think the, that there's such a lot of room for for psychedelic medicine is to get people to the point where they can actually crack that because we're so protective we we build such a lot of protection in our brain i mean my thoughts are real things they have structural they they, they have you you make the mind and brain work together you get structural change in your brain and you can almost seal up you can seal up that pain because it's so hard to deal with and so sometimes just to be able to crack that open some it is as you say it's not a panacea but it's certainly something that i am so thrilled in in my line of work that is being investigated because we need to do everything we can to help people in extreme trauma and as you quite rightly say everyone is experiencing trauma and has and is in different ways and it's so subjective so we can never be an expert on anyone else's trauma but if someone's locked it up you can't do anything and if this is a way of helping people to release as you say in four hours you saw someone's life transformed you know and i've read quite a few studies and, and watched a few things about that and it's i agree if that's another we should take every tool we have to be able to help us as humans you know to be able to process through what we've gone through because life is hard and if it works we shouldn't be frightened and that's what i like about science we have to keep our minds open and not everyone does have an open mind but that's why we do what we do to try and open people's minds to different ways of thinking so no, no, it's excellent. I'm, I'm excited about this research. I think it's fantastic. You wrote an amazing book called Own the Day, Own Your Life. Love the title. Can you talk about this book and why did you write it and who it's for? Sounds like it's for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, the human body is our home. You know, wherever we go, we bring, we bring that with us. And getting to a level where we can optimize the functionality of our body and understand how it works, I think is important. There is no user manual that we get for being human. And so this was my efforts to, at least as far as the physical expression of it, and it taps into some of the mental aspects, but mm -hmm. as part of the physical expression, this is as close as I could get to a user manual that's broken down to the best optimal practices in a single hypothetical day. And it's a day that really reflects what I feel like is a day that people could repeat ad infinitum. Like it's not a day that's a special day. Like I'm going to own the day on July 23rd. And mm -hmm. I own, like this is a day that you can do most, if not all of this stuff every single day. You know, it's just kind of subtle changes to reframe how you go through the day and add in some things. And so, yeah, I feel like that was a important thing to get at 
compound. It's closely related to my company on it, which is a human optimization brand that I built. But the book doesn't, you know, talks about so much more. I mean, we talk more about the the free medicinable, which are, you know, the ability to breathe, the ability to access hot and cold, to exercise, to have sex, to sleep, all of these things that have these massive lifts for the organism as a whole, which are easily accessible and available to all of us. Mm, that's one of my favorite things you talk about the six the six best miracle drugs on on the planet are free. I mean, I just I love that concept and just you know and you also you're a big friend of Wim Hof and I've also I've also interviewed him a couple of times. In fact, we're going to be doing some research together, him and myself. And yeah, which I'm very excited about. And I mean, he's just his. I was just talking yesterday to someone and talking about how I was interviewing someone about how cutting and you know how body harming in terms of dealing with trauma and stuff and how to manage that. And I was thinking afterwards. That that one of like Wim Hof's breathing methods, just breathing and just that that way of putting one's body into the reset mode, which will happen when you when you put your when you do that kind of breathing that he teaches. How that's a free thing, but it enables you to be able to reset yourself. And then it, you know when I was preparing for your interview, I was thinking of that and thinking of how we've got so much that we can use to be able to help ourselves forward as well. So that's what I, I loved about your six best miracle drugs. So can you talk a, a little bit more? You've mentioned briefly, I mean, you know, obviously breathing is one. Just tell us a couple more in, about the six best miracle drugs that are free. People love the word free. <laughs> well, sleep, you know, sleep is one of those big ones. There's whole books written about sleep. And when I read the book from Nick Littlehill, I thought that was a really important way that he framed it where most of us focus on how much sleep we get in a given night mm. little hell's work with a lot of the top performers in the world manchester united is a as a football team and and a variety of different performers and what he recognized is that more important than a single night's sleep is how many sleep cycles you get in a week such a great concept yeah so he estimates the sleep cycle is rough so 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 all of us are hooked up to any kind of biofeedback device that'll give us an accurate readout of what that looks like. But if we assume 90 minutes is a sleep cycle, and so you can kind of count your hours, and then you really try to get to 40 hours a week. So you're basically trying to get to, you're basically trying to get to, no, 30, sorry, 30 sleep cycles a week. was the 30 goal. a week, okay. Yeah. Then at that point, you have the ability to assess, you know, like whether you're getting like how many you're getting 30 to 35 you can set your goal but if you got a few less so let's say you only slept you know six hours so you got potentially four sleep cycles give or take rough in a single yeah so that means that you know maybe one of the next nights you need to get five sleep cycles get a full seven and a half hours of sleep and then you great and if, if it's a really rough night and you only got four and a half like later in the week you can catch up and get the rest and i think that that concept takes a lot of the pressure off of sleep, which is one of the big issues that we have is we start to feel like, oh, if I don't get to sleep, my whole... My whole life's going to fall apart, yeah. Because every study is saying you're going to die, sleep or die, but no one tells you how to sleep. So you panic so much about not sleeping that you're even worse off when you've done more brain damage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and he also counts taking a 30-minute or even a 90-minute nap if you have the time, but even a 30-minute nap he counts that as a sleep cycle that's amazing it's really you know i've added a lot more napping they're taking 30 minute naps into my own life and i find that even if i get you know a, a limited amount of sleep like even last night i didn't sleep great i was out playing a, a sport called pickleball late and it was sounds fun night and it was super fun it kept me up late but so i didn't sleep too much last night but i know i'll go home and i'll get at least one 30 minute nap and then i'll catch up on some more sleep tomorrow and so it's not stressful so good. That's brilliant. That that in itself is a goldmine that you just said there, because it's just one thing that for me, as you know, the, the, everyone out there is saying, every single lifestyle wellness writer is saying, sleep, sleep, sleep. So we all know, but everyone's so busy worrying about sleeping that they're not sleeping. So I love your approach. And I love that because I speak a lot about that too. And I love the fact that you're saying the sleep cycle, that's just such a simple way, a great way of looking at it and, is, and taking it over a period of time, like a week, which is a manageable and conceptually a very manageable amount, because there are some days that you, I mean, I've just finished my 18th book there's nights that I've worked till four in the morning and I've had two hours of sleep and I've had to do a whole day of 
interviews or whatever but then the next night as you say you catch up so I never let it worry me if I'm not sleeping but people are so trained in this current narrative to I've got to sleep or I'm going to cause every single thing that's going to kill you he's going to die and that's what people are more fearful of that than anything else so I love your approach to that I think that's absolutely outstanding yeah I, th- I think it's important and also the the way that your mind <clears throat> thinks about things the mind-body connection is oh. so huge estimated as well so you actually think if you wake up and you think oh i didn't sleep you know all of these terrible things are going to happen they're way more likely to happen it's the nocebo effect yeah exactly whereas if you have that positive mentality about it like oh no worries like i'm going to be fine i'll catch up on it tomorrow and that kind of positive attitude is going to bleed out into your life as well and make a significant impact too totally totally agree with you i just the clinical trial i just did now one of because i've been doing my mind body research for 38 years so thank you for saying people really underestimate it and that's why i'm so hot on doing research in this area and we found just getting our um, subjects mind management tools where they they've also telling them you know don't worry about the sleep you'll get if you get bad one night you'll catch up at some point just that little shift we found a 25 percent increase in sleep quality like literally in the first three weeks of trial, which was, I mean, and it was sustained at six months. It was, it was just getting better and better and better and better. And that was just removing the fear. There wasn't even a technique involved. Like you've actually given a brilliant technique. That was more just that the technique behind it was pure mind management, which is what I developed. But it was just taking the mind management off the pressure of not being able to sleep and just embracing it. And using the time for something else and whatever. And it shifted the whole perspective. So I love I love how you handle the sleep. That's so good. Great. And for people who want more of the more of the research that we were able to find for other stuff, yeah. It's in the book. I'll end up in the day. Yeah, so the and the book we can they can find we can we'll put the link in the show notes, but everywhere where books are sold. Audible, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. There's no excuse not to get this book. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I love it so nice. Tell us another, maybe one one more. Well, I think the other thing is light. You know, underestimate the importance of light. We're inside under fluorescent yeah. lights all the time. And, and light has like a our circadian rhythm, which I'm sure is something you've talked about. Mm-hmm. But getting light when you first wake up is really important. So ideally, you'll get sunlight and get out there and just allow that light to not only interact with the photoreceptors in your eyes, Mm. but we also have photoreceptors in our inner ear and other different places as well. So just getting that wash of light will start our circadian rhythm, which regulates our energy, our hormone production, a variety of different things. And it's the thing that's going to get your day started. And then, of course, towards the end of the night, managing light to try and mimic darkness as good as much as you can. So eliminating blue light, turning off your screens, you know, kind of easing yourself into the into the evening with less light so important so light at the start light at the end i think that's another one of the natural natural doctors that we have available doctor doctor sleep love it obviously you know exercise sex you know a lot of these things that people probably have a pretty good handle on you know sex a lot a lot of times people just think about it for pleasure but if you really look at so healthy it's so good for the for the Mm -hmm. organism i mean so many of the things that we're naturally designed to do yeah are really productive so getting back to those different states getting hydration actual you know we lose like a pound of water overnight just expelling the moisturized air from our lungs amazing and then breathing in the drier air that's mm-hmm. why we lose that's why we lose so much weight that's why we're lighter in the morning some people think it's just magic like we give it <laughs> give it to the tooth fairy <laughs> it's water weight yeah, yeah making sure that you're hydrated. So I recommend, you know, what I call the morning mineral cocktail, which is a combination of water and Himalayan sea salt to make sure that you get the electrolytes mm-hmm. lost because we're a saltwater organism. We're not a freshwater yeah. organism. So yeah. if you're losing either through sweat or even through exhalation overnight, we're losing salt water, but we're gaining and if we only put in distilled water, for example, we're just going into a mineral deficit. So yeah. adding in those minerals and electrolytes is crucial. Crucial for hormone, mm, everything, yeah. Everything, yeah. So that's uh, that's another one. You know, and then breath, of course. You know, any way that you can practice conscious breathing, breathing into your belly. There's a Japanese study that I cite in the books, in the book that showed with six deep breaths, they were able to prove a change in blood pressure. Mm. So. You know, everybody says, take a deep breath, you know, if you're kind of flustered or frustrated. Yeah. 
one may not be enough, but science shows that six <laughs> is, is the magic number. Five won't do it, but six will. Six does it. Amazing. Yeah. And that's pretty simple. I mean, that takes 45 seconds. It's exactly. Really easy. That's, that's incredible. So what you've done is taken what people are hearing all over the place, but you've got the scientific studies and you've put that into a nice, neat, little, simple to-do list that is something you can just, it's, it's a lifestyle. I mean, something that's so actually easy to incorporate. So instead of trying to make it a big deal and, oh, I've got to do this, 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 it's all in one place and you can just apply it and start using it and transforming your life, the basics. I love how we're in an era that we are finally going back to the basics again. We before we've the scientific era has been amazing in terms of development, but we've gone backwards in terms of a lot of our lifestyle issues and people are you know, people are dying younger. I mean the population studies are quite frightening in terms of us not managing our minds enough to manage these basic principles that you talk about. So it's good that there's so much more awareness now. There's a definite shift. I've noticed this in the thirty eight years I've been in this field. There's such a shift back to basic principles and your, your, your book encapsulates that really well really really well you also talk about i love this one you talk about the key to making a miserable job work for you can you share more on this and this is a question i get a lot of oh, i hate my job and how am i supposed to make it work for me dr leaf and give it Ugh. so here we go give us some wise advice on that aubrey i mean it's it's interesting times right now i mean i wrote the book obviously prior to the quarantine and lockdown. yeah i mean i don't know how many people are actually going to the office anymore more period you know i mean so I, I, know some, I know some people are but them at home so this is an interesting way that i think work in general is going to shift mm -hmm. and i think there's going to be obviously if you want you know the information about i'll encourage you to read the book but it's a little bit more interesting to me to talk about what's happening now yeah go for interesting, it interesting to explore as we're working from home, I think we have all of the different comforts that of our that our home provides. So mm -hmm. it's a lot easier. So, you know, the things I recommend, like having a, a rebound or trampoline, something to get the blood moving, something to like that you can do so you're not just sedentary and sitting or going for a walk. All of these things are easier. There's no micromanagement yeah. in your own house. And if there is, you need to talk to the people who live in your house. <laughs> exactly. Change it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all of these things that I was trying to find ways that people who are in a cubicle could kind of game the system a little bit, take a nap yeah. in their car. And, you know, if they had an hour for lunch, eat 30 minutes and nap 30 minutes in the car if they were tired or, or so good. You, you're by your bed. So you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. So so many of the practices are more available. The challenges come in. What you don't want to do is make your whole home your office because the energy so of what good. you're doing in a certain place is going to carry in. So one of the worst things you can do is turn your bed into your workspace, right? Like do your bed. I mean, it's like, fine, bring your laptop in there or whatever, but really try to do the majority of your work in a designated space. So that's your yeah. workspace. And then also let anybody you're living with and the people know, like, this is your work time. And it's, it's really not okay to interrupt during the work time because mm -hmm. otherwise things start to blend. Yeah. And the productivity really drops. Mm -hmm. now, I'm writing my next but it's really it's you know i just got married and it's a new you know it's a oh congratulations thank you and it's beautiful and yeah we always want to be around each other and to even explain like even coming in to ask me if i want a cup of tea which is a very sweet thing to do if i'm yeah. in the middle of writing you don't want to be interrupted yeah i like i can't i can't you know i can't ex really receive that interruption even as well intentioned and delightful and how much i'd love to see you like this is my work time yeah you know, i have to really just isolate that time and so it really teaches us boundary and Very i think good. that's a really key thing a boundary of both space and a boundary of time and forces us to be our own create our own schedule taking some time to yourself to relax and unwind is more important than ever Rest is vital for optimal brain and mental health. I love to remind people that exhaustion and overextending yourself are not badges of honor. One of my new favorite ways to de-stress is with Solitaire Grand Harvest because it's a super relaxing treat for the mind full of fun and challenging levels you can play anywhere, anytime. It's Solitaire like you've never seen. And it's free to play. Connect your social accounts to see how your friends are progressing in the game. Have some friendly competition while you're stuck at home. I love playing while waiting in lines or even when I'm in my sauna as a fun and relaxing way to unwind but still keep my mind active and working out. Whether you're stuck inside or just dreaming of the great outdoors, now you can have a fun, farm-style getaway 
right at your fingertips. Download Solitaire Grand Harvest for free today in the Apple App Store, Google Play and Amazon. Yeah, I think I'm so glad you raised that because we also, my husband and I work together and I've got two, I've got four kids and two of them work for, with me as well. And we, you've got to be careful. Like last night I was, I love, a, I love having a sauna and I've got an infrared sauna and I was in the sauna and I was just switching off from a really busy day. And then suddenly my husband's texting me all these little business things and I'm saying, Hey, in this hour, I'm not going to. And you know, it's like, and that's how easy it is because we're so used to just working all the time that we actually will be going on a walk with the family and suddenly we'll jump in because it's so easy. We the family. It's a family business. So we start talking business stuff. And we actually say, you know, one daughter, she's really good. She's actually my producer. She'll say, uh uh-uh, uh, it's boundaries now. Now it's relaxation time. No work talk now. And you have to bring those disciplines in. You have to do that separation, create those boundaries. Otherwise, it does. It becomes one big blend. And even if you love what you do, which is obviously what you do, it's obviously what we do, it can, you've got to have that mental space where you do switch off and reboot your brain because your brain, your mind gets keeps going 24-7 at 400 billion actions per second. And that's some of the science I've worked on, but your brain gets exhausted. And if you don't let your brain reboot, you can feel see, feeling um, anxiety or that sense of, you know, hovering angst and that kind of stuff. And it's often because we just haven't created a boundary or separated out and everything. So I'm really glad you raised that point. And that's a very good way of actually making a job less miserable. No doubt. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be at home or at home or at work, there's going to be challenging energies that come up. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different practices to be able to deal with that. And I think that's obviously really important. You know, if somebody... Typically, we we tend to avoid the uncomfortable conversations yeah. until it's so uncomfortable for us <laughs> and it's so painful that we just explode and then we mm. react the wrong way. There are more and more the lesson that I keep learning, whether it's a personal relationship or a work relationship. If something is bothering you, something is troubling you, about it immediately. Yeah, and don't leave it. it. Mm. Don't leave it because if you can address it immediately without it really causing you to have a massive emotional reaction it's going to be received a lot better you're going to be able to nip it in the bud you're going to be able to prevent the resentment and all of these kind of all the assumptions that are built in that interim period yeah yeah so just you know handle it as quickly as possible and and that's a lesson that i learned and over and over again is just don't let these things build up you think you can tolerate it yeah i can deal with it no big deal well maybe Actually. you can now and the next time and the next time but the fourth time that that happens, you're not going to be able to do it. Maybe so, yeah. And then it might be a... Yeah, all of the frustration from the last three times, it's all going to pile on and you're going to give them all that entire release. And then there's going to be some silly little trigger that seems so irrelevant, but it's going to explode you. And then you have this huge big fight with you or whatever, and everyone feels terrible. And there's so much unpacking, you can fix that, but you could also prevent that. Yep, exactly. Which is really, really great. I love the idea of even if, let's say, those people that are physically at work, because there's a lot of a lot of people that also still are, is to go take a nap for 30 minutes in your car at lunchtime. You know, that's so, I teach a lot on thinker moments, which is so important for brain, resetting your brain. So determining with your mind to just switch off to the external and switch on to the internal. And I mean, you can go and get in your car and you can do that and take that nap. And, and I love that you encourage people to take naps. I mean, that's just so good. People think that, oh, they're being lazy. No, you are. It's so good for, for health to take, even if it's a five-minute nap, you know, it, it really does help. And that's practical. There's a study that I have in the sleep chapter of my book that showed that a nap outperformed both a longer overnight sleep and a cup of coffee as far as mental alertness. I've read that study. Uh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Those 10-minute naps, those little naps are not being lazy. Those are such, those are pure superpower activation tools. So, <laughs> yeah, they really are wonderful. They're fantastic. Okay, so okay, in this book, you also, I love this too. I love the way how you say things. In this book, you discuss how you are probably screwing up your most attractive traits to your partner. Can you expand on this and how do we remedy this? It's, you know, people people will take you at your own estimation of yourself is another another like big lesson. If you, no matter what you are, if you don't actually fully believe that or you downplay that or you don't like it doesn't matter if how good looking you are if you're constantly insecure about how you look then that's going to actually be the thing that that people read like he's not as good looking or whatever but if you're confident and you just not cocky and not being like showy but just really truly like appreciate yourself for all of these things people will appreciate you 
Mm. And I think that's probably the the biggest lesson is that is, is just really appreciate and love yourself and love all of those things about yourself. And people were going to love those same things. They'll take your cue. You know, they'll trust you. will take you at your own estimation. Remember your dad taught me when I was really young. It's like people will take you at your own estimation of yourself if it's true. You know, because who knows you better than you? Exactly. So, so if people can read like, oh, wow, this person really believes in himself or he really believes that, that he's going to do this. I mean, I, when I went to go raise funding to start on it, I remember I, both of the people I, I've raised like $100,000, $110,000 to be exact. And it was from two different people. And I wrote out a whole business plan and I had a mm -hmm. whole idea. And obviously what ended up happening was way different than the business plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always like that. Yeah. Expected. But nonetheless, I handed it to them and they looked through it like a flip book and they were like, okay. And then they looked me right in the eye and they're both of them, not without talking to each other, it was separate. They said the same thing. They looked at me and they're like, this is going to work. And I was like, yes, I do. And they're like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> like that was it. Like they, that's they amazing. Just, they really just, they trusted that I, that I, you know, was sensible enough that if I really believed it, if I truly believed it, they believed it too. And I think that's really the, the lesson here is that, you know, people will take you at your own level of self-belief, your own level of self-love, your own level of, you know, self-worth. Mm, that's amazing because you project that, you know, that's what people, and that's so they were more interested in, in you, how you saw yourself and the confidence you had in yourself than they were in this great business plan. And that was just the sort of cherry on the top. They were more interested in the connection with you. So that's the message there is that be confident in yourself and, you know, the good and the bad. And, and that's what you project. It's so scientific as well, because when we have a, when our identity is compromised and we start sort of almost sabotaging ourselves. We actually, that's a physical thing that also happens in the brain with that whole mind-brain connection. So whatever you're doing with your mind, you're going to build that into your brain. Now, I always use this little tree as a toxic thought because your thoughts, which have got memories in them, they, they look like trees in your brain and, and we sabotage ourselves. And these, like Einstein's work, they generate energy. So if you are thinking, oh, I can't do this and Jesus, guy's never going to, these people won't fund me and I just, you know, this is a stupid idea. And then you're trying to convince you, that's what they're going to see. That's going to generate that toxic energy versus if you have a healthy tree. So I always use the little for a healthy tree because the thoughts look like trees. So that's what, I mean, the science behind what you're saying, we really need to be authentic with ourselves and generate that in, in communication with people. So I think that's a very, very important point that you've raised. Are you concerned about anything that's happening out there in the whole self-help wellness industry? Because it's huge at the moment. I mean, it's a good thing. There's so much great stuff coming up. But do you have any concerns about anything? or And do you have any pros and cons? So you can maybe, is there something you're worried about? Or is there something you're particularly happy about or excited about? Within the industry itself, the, the hardest thing is when people get kind of lost in spiritual materialism. And that's mm. when really you're flaunting your, without being aware of it, you're flaunting your spirituality in a way as a kind of a signifier of virtue of your kind of spiritual wealth. Wow, that's such a good point. Which is the antithesis of true spirituality. And I think that's something that, we, that I see that's particularly disgusting to me is mm. that sense of spiritual materialism. It's like going to do ayahuasca so you get the... You get the merit badge on your vest and then you just show everybody and you tell them how you did it and 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 that's i think one of the mm -hmm. things and that can happen in a variety of different ways it could happen you know somebody goes through a biofeedback brain training you know they're like i've got the i've got the brain training of 40 years of zen you know meditation i'm like no you don't like i don't <laughs> know what metric you're using but it's not the same i promise you <laughs> you know i'm sure that i no. know biofeedback don't compare it to 40 years of yeah. Zen meditation. Definitely not. It's not yeah. the same. You know? For sure, yeah. And so I think, but that's a way that I think people can kind of be more about the show than about like actually embodying the work that they're talking about. Mm. So where it manifests in their behavior as opposed to show the badge and tell the person, what. let's see, how, how are you manifesting? Because if there's true spiritual growth, you're going to be operating in a lot more love and wisdom. And there's just, you're just a much nicer person to be around, more human kind of thing. And that's it. And, and so the pros are the opposite. You know, the things that I really love the most is when somebody is really embodied. You know, like if someone's talking to me about their gratitude practice, but I don't see them as grateful, uh -huh. then I'm like, what are you talking about? If someone's talking to me about fitness and they're not fit, I'm like, mm -hmm. really? You know, like you really, the way to 
be compelling is to live is to live your message you know and to really yeah the walks the and i see a lot of that and that those are the people who i'm always you know always pull up a chair and just and listen because they're really embodying the work other people you know it's just all about the talk and i'm not so much into the talk I am so pleased you raised this point. It's such a relevant point and it's, it's excellent. It's brilliant that people, because we are in a day and an age where the access to knowledge is huge and you can really, it's so easy to do a multiplicity of courses and read a multiplicity of books and say, I've done this, this and this, but then you're still sitting there, as you say, not training, not eating properly, still whining about everything, complaining, woe is me, victim mentality. And you just, there's no growth, but oh, I've done all these courses. So there's that disconnect, that cognitive dissonance. And there's, there is a, there's a lot of that. It's people where people are not applying knowledge. So thank you. That is a really good point you've raised. Explained that so well. Any more pearls of wisdom that you would like to share? So a closing statement or a... I think the, the key thing is just be good to yourself. You know, I mean, mm. I, I think we, we get in this idea that we need to be really hard on ourselves and we need to use this kind of stern taskmaster judge. Our inner critic gets really activated and we think that we need that. When really that's just going to prevent us from having the courage to go forward and take risks and take chances. So, you know, be mindful of those voices of criticism and judgment. Try to soften the edges. Try to understand that even though those voices are here to help us, you know, that's originally what they're doing. They may not be doing it in the best way. Like a good coach versus a bad coach. A bad coach is always telling you how much you suck and, you know, making you run laps and punishing you. Mm. A good coach is giving you high fives and telling me that, telling you that you got this and, you know, you're good enough and you can do this and it's okay if you fail and you'll get them next time. And, and that's the good coach and that trying mm. to change the way that our own internal voices go, just being kind, being loving, you know, love as much as possible, making knowing that all of this is a practice, you know, whether we're working with our inner judge or working with self-love or working with forgiveness or gratitude, it's all a practice and, or the kind of stoic and looking at these obstacles as ways that you can refine your strength and gain assistance from the challenge. Like all of these things are practices, but to do so without that kind of air of, of judgment and harshness and punishment and, uh, and really just be good to yourself. Mm, uh, that's beautiful. And I honestly think you're doing that, you know, just having this conversation with you, I really feel better. And it's just you, you've got a very calming voice and you obviously live what you, you live the principles that you're teaching. And thank you for that. And it's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I've enjoyed it so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's just, you've got a tremendous insight into the sort of peacefulness of being a human. If that makes any sense, that's how if I had to, you know, it's it's beautiful. It's really great and it's very calming and it's it's very encouraging and very hopeful. So thank you so much. And I'd love to have a conversation with you again. I'd love to do this again sometime. That'd be great. I'd love for you to get an advanced copy of my book too, because I, oh, I would have a, a lot of things to think about it. I would love to. I'd be absolutely honored. Please, please send me one. That'll be amazing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual 
medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.